Welcome to the God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Brandon Cox. And we are excited that you're tuned back into the show. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Brown, the founder and president of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina, the director of the Coalition of Conscience, and a host of the daily nationally syndicated talk radio show, The Line of Fire. He is also a world-renowned apologist, and he does a TV show called Answering Your Toughest Questions, which airs on the NRB TV network. You can find out more about him or listen to his show at askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Also go to Amazon and get one of his 25 different books. Without any further ado, let's get right to the interview. Welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Michael Brown. Great to be with you. Thanks. Well, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Before we get into any other questions, I'd like to know just a little bit about your story. Sure. I'm raised in a Jewish home on Long Island, born in New York City. Uh, had a good upbringing. My mom and dad happily married. My dad was the senior lawyer in the New York Supreme Court. But at the age of 13, after I was bar mitzvah, that's just the, the rite of passage for a Jewish teenager, after I was bar mitzvah, I was, I was playing drums. I was interested in the, the growing rock scene in America. This is 68. If you remember, the Beatles came to America in 64, and you know, the culture was starting to shift. I went to my first rock concert at the age of 13, saw Jimi Hendrix in concert, and I was just impacted. I wanted to be like these rock stars. There was the rebellion. There was the, the counterculture life they were living. Something just appealed to me. And uh, by 14, I started getting high. 15, I was shooting heroin. And at the age of 16, I was just living a very decadent, rebellious life, uh, very much doing my own thing and completely uh, living by the way of the flesh. And my two best friends that I played in the band with uh, were friendly with these two girls. And these two girls uh, had an uncle that was a uh, pastor of a church, and their dad was praying for them. They started going to this gospel-preaching church. My two friends went to spend time with the girls. Uh, God started to draw all of them in. I went to pull them out, and God miraculously, gloriously saved me. By the end of 1971, I was dramatically born again, completely free from drugs, and been following the Lord ever since. Praise God. So this year has kind of been a turning point in our nation, I believe. We've seen so many big changes, ranging from the social issues to other issues around the globe. But in particular, these social issues have been uh, just kind of dramatically displayed this summer. What do you think about the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage and other things that are kind of out there that about now? What's happening well, in our nation? Yeah, it has been a massive shift. There's no question. But it's an expected shift. Mm -hmm. In other words, all, all the pointers have been going in this direction for some time now. It's been very, very clear that we have been on a steady, a steady descent into sexual anarchy. It's been clear that we have been on a steady descent where gay activism has trumped religious rights. It's very clear that, that there is a pushing away of the, of the Bible and God from our culture in, in increasing measure. There's really no denying that. I've been warning about it for over 10 years to the point that I've written articles saying, I, I hate to say I told you so, yeah. but we told you this was coming. So. In that respect, I tell people I feel like an umbrella salesman in the desert, and people think, you know, why do you have these umbrellas? Ah, but, but the storm is here. Now they understand why. Um, it's tragic. As much as I care about every individual person, every person who identifies as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, 
I believe that all of us are created in God's image and yet fallen. I believe that Jesus died for every one of us. I want to reach out to individuals with compassion. At the same time, I absolutely stand against the redefining of marriage and the normalization of homosexuality. And in point of fact, when it, when it comes to, uh, to these issues here, uh, this is radical. This is dramatic. This is a Supreme Court decision along the lines of Roe v. Wade and along the, the lines of Dred Scott. This is one of those decisions that will live on in infamy, even if a lot of the nation supports it right now, a lot of the nation does not. And long term, this will prove to be disastrous. So for me, it's grievous but not surprising. Uh, the positive is that little by little believers are waking up, little by little believers are understanding the nature of the spiritual and moral battle that we're in. And now the question is, how do we live our faith out? How do we reach our society? How do we glorify Jesus in America? Uh, how do we keep our convictions? Uh, my newest book just out now is called Outlasting the Gay Revolution, where homosexual activism is really going and how to turn the tide. And it was written right before the Supreme Court decision, but very much expecting which way the decision would go. And my very first principle in the book is never compromise your convictions. And the fourth principle of the book is refuse to redefine marriage. So this is where we're at. This is where things are going. And it's going to separate the men from the boys in that respect. We'll see who's willing to stand and who's going to cower and compromise. How has the church contributed to this? And what would be the solution? Well, church has contributed, sadly, in many ways. If, uh, if I go into a hotel room checking in uh, when I'm on the road ministering and I flip the switch and the light doesn't come on, I don't get mad at the darkness. The darkness is just being dark. That's just what it does. I, I try to figure out what's the matter with the light. <laughs> That's our situation today. Uh, Jesus said in a different context in Matthew 6, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So... We've contributed by immorality in our own midst. We've contributed by adultery, pornography in our own midst. We've contributed by no-fault divorce in our own midst. We've contributed by becoming like the world rather than, than the world being changed by the gospel. We've been changed by the world. So we've contributed in, in many ways. Uh, we have been more consumed with earthly things than the things of God. And because of that, uh, the light has, has largely gone out in America in terms of many, many fundamental moral and spiritual values. That being the case, that means that if awakening comes to us, change could come to the nation. A repentance must begin with us. Fervent prayer must begin with us, crying out for awakening, uh, getting things right with one another, uh, fixing what can be fixed, restoring what needs to be restored, and then living out our faith before the society things can change, but it's going to take divine intervention, and it's going to start with us humbling ourselves. Absolutely. Now, one of these activist groups, I'll leave them unnamed, but they're a national activist group that has really spearheaded some of these efforts this summer and in the past. They labeled you one of the top 20, if I'm not mistaken, most dangerous individuals in America, which I know uh, is no news to you. But how would you respond to something like that? I know that your message has been misinterpreted by them and by others. What would you say to people like that that are listening this morning? What is the message that Christ has for people in that lifestyle this morning? Yeah, I was, I was labeled uh, one of the, the new leaders of the, the radical right. And in, in terms of how I responded, a colleague emailed me and, and said, Dr. Brown, 
did you see that you were on this list? So I, I actually got quite excited by it. I, I was <laughs> flattered to be on it, and Jesus said to rejoice when you're lied about and vilified for his sake. So this was all for his sake. No one ever accused me of being obnoxious or mean-spirited. Uh, that, that was never the issue, but I was, quote, anti-gay because I, I did not stand for the normalizing of homosexuality. I was, I was uh, uh, anti-gay because I didn't stand for redefining marriage. And I said that we have to reach out to individuals with compassion but resist the agenda with courage. So for that, I got on that list. I'm on a few other lists, actually. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, Ben Carson was put on, on one of their hate lists. And then when there was a national protest, they pulled it. So I, I wrote a fun letter saying, hey, time to pull my name. And when I went looking for the page where they had me, uh, somehow they couldn't find the page anymore online. So who knows where, where they're at. But for me... Uh, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge for all of us because we care about people. But the moment you say you don't want to redefine marriage, well, to a gay couple, you just rejected them. The moment you say that God did not design a man to be with a woman or that it's best for a kid to have a mom and a dad, the moment you say these things, you're now looked at as, well, you're attacking my family, or you don't think I'm as good as you, or I don't have the right to raise a child. So I understand how gays and lesbians, <clears throat> excuse me, what could perceive us. I understand that when we stand for what's right, that they're going to feel rejected and hated. What we have to do all the more, though, is demonstrate the love of God. Be relational. Uh, most people we meet, is not going to, it's, it's not going to be just some Internet thing where they're, we're yelling at each other, but it's going to be your neighbor, your friend, your family member, your coworker, And that's where you just have to demonstrate the love of Jesus in a genuine way, to get involved with that person's life, to be there for them, to pray for them, uh, to show them what God's love really is, uh, to make clear to them that, that you hold to these views, uh, simply believing God's ways are best, and you're not rejecting them as individuals or saying they're inferior, that, that all of us are broken and in need of repair, uh, and you build relationships. I, I always use this illustration because it's very relevant, but I was flying to Italy one time for some ministry, <coughs> and um, as I was flying guy next to me right off the bat was out and proud right off the bat wanted me to know that that he was gay and he was a flight attendant that was off that day and using miles to go over and, and see his partner in rome and uh anyway he was out and proud so i thought well i'll be out and proud <laughs> so i told him i'm a follower of jesus i believe this i believe that and we started talking he told me his whole life story told me about the rejection told me about what happened with his parents and a pastor and, and on and on AIDS activist and how he's had HIV for years but somehow survived and we talked at length and at one point he was sharing some of his story uh, I, I teared up listening to him and at the end of the flight we exchanged email addresses I, I wanted to send him something to read and, and I said to him if you met someone who held to, to these views held to these convictions would you consider that person homophobic he said absolutely I said, do you consider me homophobic? He said, no, I heard your heart. So that's ultimately going to be the biggest thing. Uh, it's one thing when, when people may read one of my articles and I'm taking a stand on a righteousness issue. It's another thing if it's my neighbor and I can sit down and speak with that person directly. Uh, and then we pray. But it's, it's, a, it's a great tension. Many churches are caving in and compromising because they don't want to drive people away. They don't want to offend people. And yet, at the same time, they're not speaking the truth in love. So who are they really helping? Is tolerance alive in this country? 
<laughs> tolerance. Well, in the name of tolerance, there's an extreme intolerance. Uh, when society today talks about being tolerant, they mean intolerant of any views but their own. When they talk about being inclusive, they mean exclusive of all opposing views. Uh, when they talk about diversity, they mean my way or the highway. It's quite ironic. I, I once had a, a, a group tell me they would not work with me because they were inclusive. <laughs> so it really is kind of a double talk. And in the name of tolerance, there's all kinds of bigotry and, and anger and hatred, but they're the tolerant ones. I can say, you know, I really care about you as an individual, and, and, and I've I would do whatever I could to protect your rights. I simply don't believe that marriage should be redefined. And then they'll, they'll curse me out in the harshest, ugliest, most vicious terms, and they do it in the name of tolerance. That's <laughs> pretty crazy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. Go to godsolutionshow.com for more information on The God Solution. Brady Cohn is a friend of ours, and I just want to refer our listeners to bradycone.com, bradycone.com. And you can go to thegodsolutionshow.com and look at our past shows and see the interview with Brady Cohn. But Brady Cohn came out of homosexuality, and he's now talking about what it means to live for Christ and to walk away from homosexuality and sharing his testimony of that. And it's really kind of a refreshing take on it. So I would encourage listeners to check that out. I guess kind of switching gears a little bit here, what do you think about this new, uh, I guess it's not new, but the abortion issue that's kind of been uh, brought to the forefront by these sting videos by the Center for Medical Progress that show kind of the atrocities of Planned Parenthood and abortion in general. You know, actually, there's, there's a direct tie in many ways, and, and, and I'll come to that in a moment in terms of these different social issues. But first, I'm, I'm thrilled to see Planned Parenthood being exposed. It's an absolute outrage that Planned Parenthood gets hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money. It's an absolute outrage that they have been able to, to thrive the way they have these many years as a, as a billion-dollar industry. Uh, stats are so shocking now in terms of abortion. Some parts of America, for example, in New York City, the last stats that we have on this is that more black babies are aborted than born in New hmm. York City, if, if you can imagine that. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was into eugenics, believed that there were certain parts of society, immigrants, Jews, blacks, different ones, the poorer ones, those that weren't educated, different ones that had lower social status that were just like weeds that needed to be exterminated, and that this was the best way to cull the population. Otherwise, the earth would be overpopulated. This was the best way to cull the population, namely abortion. Uh, her, her views are very radical and extreme when you, when you read about them. That's the founder of Planned Parenthood. I'm thrilled to see them being exposed. I'm thrilled to see America waking up to the evils of Planned Parenthood and the alleged trafficking in baby body parts. But the reason I say there's a connection is not because gays and lesbians are the primary ones having abortions. That's obviously not the case. But... Because when Roe v. Wade became the law in 1973, people thought, that's it, it's over, uh, abortion has forever been decided in America, the sentiments of the country were, were very much pro-abortion, the pro-life movement was discouraged and disarray. Well, today the pro-life movement is stronger than it's ever been, uh, ever been since Roe v. Wade. Uh, today the younger generation is more pro-life than their parents' generation was. And we see this massive sting operation with 
uh, with Planned Parenthood and now calls across the country to defund Planned Parenthood. They've taken a massive hit in PR. So the tide can be turned. There have been people literally praying around the clock for years now, praying and praying and praying and praying for God to turn the tide, and others who've worked tirelessly for years and years and years in front of the abortion clinics. And uh, it shows that, that the Supreme Court, is, as Governor Mike Huckabee said, is not the supreme being. It shows that things can change. It shows that if God's people persevere and pray and cry out and do what's right, the tide can turn. Obviously, we still have a plague of abortion in our land, but uh, it's good that this has happened. It's necessary that this has happened. Uh, I, I think just the realities of abortion enough are horrifying uh, to start. Now these videos even adding to the horror of it and just the nonchalant attitude of some of the people involved. Uh, so praise God for that, but it reminds us that the tide can turn. Absolutely, and that's the hope that we have, <laughs> that we can pursue Christ and let him use us in this dark world. I recently, I guess it wasn't so recent, but a few years ago, we debated a Planned Parenthood college activist group on our campus about abortion, and it was just a slaughter. It, it, was, it was crazy. Some of the videos went viral. I got threatened um, with lawsuits and things like that. Nothing panned out. I guess that kind of happens a lot. But anyway, through it all, I found a connection between abortion and the homosexual issue because the gay and lesbian groups started attacking us viciously after this abortion debate, and I couldn't figure out why in the world am I getting attacked by them after this debate on abortion. And it really clicked that abortion is required for sexual freedom, and the LGBTQ lifestyle requires sexual freedom. I mean, if, if there's no abortion, there, there, there have to be consequences for sexual activity, right? And so if we want a nation where anything goes sexually, you have to protect that with abortion. I think that's kind of this horrible consequence of a lot of the social issues that have, that have flourished in this nation. Am I right? Yeah. Actually, there, there really are different connections. You can't separate the sexual revolution of the 60s from the, uh, from the sexual anarchy of today. You can't separate the culture that has sex for recreation versus sex for procreation. Uh, you can't separate that from the other social issues with gay activism and things like that, with the redefining of marriage, with kind of an anything goes culture. And, and here's, here's what's so interesting. Many years ago when I lived, I lived in Maryland, right, right outside of D.C., uh, the congregation I was part of was involved in a, in a pro-life event, Operation Rescue. So on those days, you'd get there early. They'd announce early in the morning what clinic you'd be going to. There'd be a police presence there, but then uh, there'd be you know, a large number of, of protesters that would be there, and we'd all just walk past the police and sit down in front of the, the clinic and just sit and pray and worship until the police removed us one at a time, and, and that was it. It was kind of a prophetic statement. It was a wake-up call. Obviously, you're only going to stop operation at the clinic for a couple of hours, but it, it was a powerful tool. And what shocked me was the protesters against our protest. I, I, I remember it vividly, and I was shocked at the coalition. Some of them identified as Satanists, some of them identified as atheists, and some of them were out and proud gays and lesbians. Now, this was old, late 80s, probably. And I <laughs> late 80s, early 90s at the latest. And I remember thinking, why in the world are these people here? 
And why would gays and lesbians be making a fuss about abortion? Because you're going to have less pregnancies um, among them uh, just, just by their orientation. And I realized there was really a spiritual connection. Yeah. There, there was a certain spiritual connection. There was ultimately a connection that was, was against God's normal process of life. I don't mean that every atheist or Satanist or gay or lesbian feels that way, but it is, it is part of a larger spiritual battle. There's no question whatsoever. That also means, though, that prayer and the power of the gospel can turn the tide. There are incredible numbers of people coming to Christ in Africa and China and South America. Even in the Muslim world, there are thousands of people every day converting to Christianity. I look at that with all sorts of optimism, and then I realize that here in our country, these social issues have really stifled, in a lot of ways, a lot of ministry. It's kind of made a lot of people feel like they can't talk. What do you think the effect will be on the revival going around the world if these social precedents that we set start to spread worldwide as well? Well, they are spreading in certain ways. Um, I've been in several countries overseas. I get to travel a lot where leaders have talked to me about the direct pressure they've been put under by the American government. Businesses, governments, direct pressure from America saying you need to change. Universities, you need to change. Or, or even some universities reaching out to America saying, help us change. And you're talking about uh, things, for example, in some Asian countries where they're told if, if you want our business, and you're telling some of the biggest companies in the world, tech companies, you're going to have to change your diversity policies in, in your job. Uh, governments being told in Africa, if you want our funding, you're going to have to change your policies. Now, so far, the countries I've been in and the people I've spoken to, they've held their ground, and they've said no to America. But America is exerting pressure, and America is a massively influential nation worldwide. At the same time, you're absolutely right. The gospel is spreading. The gospel is spreading like wildfire or holy fire around the world, more and more and more and more people are coming to faith. And, and the church, as it continues to grow, is biblical and conservative. The church, as it continues to grow, is, is committed to the gospel and is committed to biblical values. So ultimately, when people think, well, the tide is turning, well, in many ways it's not. Now, you, you see the rise of, of radical Islam and conservative Islam worldwide, well, that's a destructive rise, but you know where, where Muslims are going to stand, religious Muslims, on these moral and social issues. Then you have a healthy, rising church where the gospel is going forth and people are being wonderfully born again. You know where the church is going to stand. So the tide, in many ways, is turning against this. As much as it's spreading in certain cultures and, and nations, there's another tide coming in the opposite direction, and ultimately uh, the gospel will triumph. Uh, unless Jesus comes first, I believe we'll see the tide turn. Uh, it's interesting you mention some of these things because in my new book, Outlasting the Gay Revolution, uh, I have a chapter, the, the second to last chapter of the book, and each chapter is based on a principle for living. Uh, so the, uh, the seventh of eight principles is factor in the God factor. Awesome. Factor in the God factor. Don't forget what happens with revival. Don't forget how nations can be changed. Don't forget how things can shift on a dime. And that, that's not fantasy. That's reality. And that's happened all through history. But that's where the church actually has to step up. I always say revival is dependent on the church, not on God. It's not like God is withholding revival. 
the church is refusing to walk in obedience. I think if we'll do those things, like you mentioned, God will bless those efforts, and there will be revival. There was a, a great champion of revival in the last generation, Leonard Ravenhill, that became a very close friend the last five years of his life. And when he was asked the question, why don't we see revival, he said, because we're willing to live without it. Absolutely. And that, that remains the, the fundamental issue. Yes, only God can send it. We can't work it up. Revival is not something that man works up. Revival is something God sends down. However, if we will seek him earnestly, if we'll cry out, if we'll, if we'll look to him in prayer, if we'll humble ourselves and repent of our own sins and, and acknowledge our bankruptcy uh, as a people and, and on behalf of the nation, God will move. God wants to move. God wants to bless. God wants to save. God wants to heal and deliver. God Absolutely. wants to transform. Uh, that's his desire. But uh, he only comes to the hungry and the thirsty. And if you think of it, uh, if we're completely full, there's no room. When we're hungry and thirsty, there's room. So I believe that the tide is, is starting to turn. Uh, I believe that if people really do cry out, that God will visit. Uh, I expect a lot of shaking. I expect upheaval. I expect difficult times. But I expect to see God do amazing things on a national level. And just as I got saved in 71, it was part of what we call the Jesus Revolution or the Jesus People Movement, where large numbers of hippies and radicals and rebels uh, came to faith. Uh, many of my friends believe that we're going to see the same thing with gays and lesbians, a massive outpouring, and uh, they're going to get wonderfully born again. The question is, will we be ready to receive them? Will we be ready to disciple them, love on them, help them? So uh, it's very, very interesting times we're coming into, challenging times, but the church doesn't do well when it's just the maintainer of the status quo. Uh, we're called to be a revolutionary, world-changing movement. As we do that, uh, then we really come into our identity. Real quick, changing topics a little bit. What do you think about the recent deal our country made with Iran, and how does that affect Israel? I think it's a miserable deal. Uh, I, I just heard a newscast where John Kerry, Secretary of State Kerry, is defending it, and everyone thinks it's great and so on. I, I think it's disastrous. I, I'm really hoping that Congress will, will uh, overturn it. The president's claiming he doesn't need Congress, but I'm hoping it will be shot down. I think it's dreadful for Israel. Uh, even putting aside the nuclear weapons, Iran is probably the leading financier of terror around the world. It's not the leader, one of the biggest leaders. And uh, they're getting billions and billions and billions of dollars from America that everyone knows a lot of it's going to be used for terror, not just for infrastructure in their own country, but for terror as well. So to, to finance a country that's not going to finance terror, some of it directly impacting Israel, is crazy. Uh, many of our U.S. casualties overseas have been at the hands of Iranian-sponsored terror, and yet we're going to finance them. And from everything I know, the... The testing mechanism is very weak, and the uh, Iran's ability to move forward with, with nuclear, uh, nuclear plans seems to be on target with this. So I, I just I, I do not understand what we're thinking. I mean, I know there's the philosophy of the president that he's going to make Iran into a friend. I think Iran is laughing all the way to the bank, to be honest with you. All right. Well, wrapping up the interview... What should Christians do in this increasingly hostile world? There are a lot of Christians listening this morning. How would you challenge them to step up? I would say we're made for this hour. Amen. That, that think of us as, as being lights, and it's really dark. We're made for this hour. Uh, this is when people have a need. It's not a matter of no one wanting what we have to say. It's a matter of people needing it and not even knowing it. Absolutely. Uh, let's prepare for action. Let's prepare to be rejected. Let's prepare to be misunderstood. 
uh, let's prepare uh, for opposition. But, but listen, uh, there are people literally laying down their lives, literally dying for the gospel around the world. If someone unfriends us on Facebook, that's not exactly persecution for the faith. So let's, let's walk in love. Let's, let's double down in prayer. Uh, let's get our own houses in order, and let's share Jesus boldly and stand for the truth boldly without compromise. And if folks uh, want daily edification, encouragement, go to my website, askdrbrown, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. I write three, four, five new articles every week, and these are dealing with key social, moral issues. And uh, we have a live radio show two hours a day, five days a week, so people can listen to that online or they can ar- uh, listen to the archives. We're putting out new videos, so we're there to equip and strengthen on a daily basis and encourage people, this is the hour we've been made for. This is the time to stand. It's going to be challenging, but this is the time to preach the gospel without shame. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the God Solution Show, Dr. Brown. My joy. God bless you guys. God bless you. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Michael Brown. You can get that interview under the Past Shows tab at godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com. You won't believe the interview that we're going to have next week. We're going to be interviewing a former transgender, Walt Heyer, and talking to him about some of his testimony. So definitely tune in and let your friends know to tune in as well. Again, go to GodSolutionShow.com, find out how to partner with the show there. And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, find out more about how to do that at GodSolutionShow.com as well. Thanks so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. We'll talk to you again next week.